0: What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people... Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. The very word of God.
1: Amen. Amen. Mary, thank you. Thank you for hiding that word in your heart for our benefit and isn't it great just to hear the word of God, just right from, right from the Apostle James? Um, you know, I had a uh, chance this past week to pray with someone, and um, they're going through a lot. And uh, at the end of the prayer, I just asked, How are you feeling? And he said, I feel light. I feel light. And that is uh, a common way to describe an encounter with God and Him responding to our cries for help and Him responding to us. And this uh, word that we just heard ends with, uh, I will lift you up. I will lift you up. And I I believe that's the uh, the kind of experience God has in mind for us this morning. He wants to lift us up. Now, of course, there are conditions about that and how that's uh, going to happen. Um, And so we're working our way through the book of James. We're calling this series, uh, uh, Let's Walk the Talk with Jesus. And um, a lot of people think James is sort of a hodgepodge, doesn't really follow any sort of a logical flow. But as we've examined each week, Uh, the flow of thought, and I'm just going to briefly remind us, last week we were in the comparison of false wisdom and wisdom from above. And uh, James is now continuing that, uh, that thought as to the implications of living in false wisdom or living in the wisdom from above. And one of the things about the wisdom from above is it is impartial. And one of the things that uh, God uh, exhibits all the way through the Bible is he's more interested in dealing with the people of God first than he is in dealing with the rest of the world. Because, of course, he wants the people of God to be an example to the rest of the world. And so he always starts with the people of God. And this, as stout and as stern as these words that we just heard are, they are written to Christians. This whole letter is written to Christians. So all of this stuff going on is going on in the church. And uh, it's still going on in the church. It's still going on in the church. And so God is really passionate about the holiness of His church. He has a very simple reasoning is that if he gave his very best, which is his son, and his son gave one hundred percent on the cross, then the people of God as a fair exchange should give one hundred percent. And so this is the, the 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 track he's following in his thought process. And so we come to this part of the text and it's it's a hard word, but he wants to lift us up. It's it's like a firm father coming to speak to some kids and disciplining, uh, kids. We've been disciplining two grandchildren, uh, for the last two weeks. And it's been, uh, a wonderful experience to be able to be a grandfather and a grandmother and also to, uh, walk them through, uh, how their parents have trained them and to remind them how their parents have trained them. But, uh, this would be a bit of a hard word today, but it's coming from the heart of a loving Father who knows our stuff, knows what we're like, and He still keeps coming. He still keeps coming, and He, he really is inviting us today uh, to step into this Scripture, and He wants us to do four things. The first thing He wants us to do is He wants us to recognize that war that's going on within us. Don't hide it. don't put a band-Aid on it. Just recognize it for what it is. That's verses one to three. He then wants us to hate our adulterous lifestyle. He wants to hate He wants us to hate our sin. And he talks that through in verses four and five as to what he wants and why. And then he wants us to reject pride, and he wants us to receive his grace instead of pride. There's a a divine exchange that He wants to have happen here. And then finally He wants us to come to Him humbly so He can lift us up. So there's some process that He's working here this morning. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to have an opportunity to trade in uh, our stuff. Uh, What's going to happen a little bit later is we're going to have communion. And I always think of communion as the divine exchange. You know, we trade in all of our sin and junk and he washes us clean and then we receive the body and blood of Christ and we are set uh, completely cleansed and set and filled with him. So before communion, uh, we're going to have a chance to meditate a little bit and then come up and on this first station... So you're going to come up, and the the inside stations. There's a little magic paper here. This paper uh, models how God works. So I've got my sin for this week um, that I've been working with God and working through with God, and I've been humbling myself and coming to Him, um, so I can preach this message with integrity and I can take this sin, write it on this piece of paper here, this paper around here. I can drop it in the water. It's magic paper. And I can stir it, and it dissolves completely. Bye-bye. That's how God deals with our sin. God deals with our sin. He doesn't remind us about it. He doesn't have us walk around in shame and guilt all week. He doesn't want uh, that for us. He wants us to be lifted up. But takes some humbling on our part. So we're going to do that, then have communion, then have prayer teams uh, this morning. And it's all revolving around this quotation from the Old Testament where James, uh, in calling us to humi- humility, is calling us to walk away from pride. And he quotes Proverbs 3.34 which says he mocks proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. So God is calling us to reject our pride today. And pride is the root of all the other stuff that we heard about here. Pride is the root that makes envy and covetousness and lust operate because in our pride, we think the things we lust after are owed to us. Also, envy. Which then has us comparing to one another. And in our pride, we think we compare favorably on the bell curve. There is no bell curve. Right? God has no bell curve. God's either... You're either perfect or you're not. The only way to be perfect is in Jesus, who's perfect. But all these sins, all this adultery, all this fickleness, all this... Friendship and compromise with the world comes out of pride, comes out of our belief that we uh, are better and we deserve this, and uh, all of these things are anchored in pride. So he wants to focus on that, and he wants us to, to remind, to be reminded that God hates the proud and God loves the humble. So that's a fundamental shift he wants us to make in this passage. So let's uh, go through each of the four things, okay? First thing is he wants us to recognize the war that's going on within us. So all of this uh, first three verses points to this. What causes fights? That's a military term for war. And quarrels, that's a military word for combat among you. Don't they come from your desires? That's the Greek word hedone, where we get the word hedonism from. Uh, That battle, that's a military expedition into war. You desire, that's lust. uh, And the hedone word again, so you kill. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on, but there were murders going on in the church. We're not sure if it was like somebody deciding that somebody need to be stoned or what was going on, but uh, James doesn't tell us. And then there's covetousness, and we can't get what we want, so we go to war and combat. Then he says you don't have because you don't ask, which raises a, a secondary problem of prayerlessness, which is rooted in pride, which fuels the belief that if we try harder during the day and skip our time with God and just go and do it ourselves, that we're going to somehow get more done uh, than God can get done if we ask Him. And so we have a prayerlessness problem. That's why I'm so excited about the covenant, uh, the canopy of prayer that we're doing, because it's getting us into the place of depending on God for transformation of ourselves and our city, uh, but this prayerlessness is a pervasive problem. And then when they do pray, they're asking with the wrong motives that they can spend what they get on their hedonism. So uh, the text is screaming out, like, we need to be aware of this. And by the way, this isn't like a an unusual condition. This is the way we are, even believers. We have this battle going on inside. Paul describes this battle in Galatians 5.17. He says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. That's your old man. That's the old man who wants to keep living and and uh, exercising his or her authority over your life. And it's contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit is contrary to the flesh. See, these two are in conflict with each other. They are adversaries so that you are not to do whatever you want. In other words, you have been given the Spirit to have power over the flesh. You haven't been given the Spirit to watch this battle go on and on and on and on. However, this battle is real, and it will last till the day you breathe your last breath. And the only way to win this battle is by the Spirit. And so the judging of other believers, by the way, that's rampant in the church rampant in the church. I'm going to talk about that next week. Um, lust, envy, all of this is rampant in the church. Uh, you know, I, I, am, uh, I participate in this. So I, I met a guy last week who's a pastor of a new church plant It's going to happen over in Newtown. And uh, about a mile and a half from here, and I have learned that my behavior is to be uh, envious. The staff will tell you on Monday morning when it's been a lousy attendance week, you know, I'm like, ah, gosh, what are these people doing, you know? <laughs> what are these people doing? And now there's another guy planting a church down the road. That's the last thing I need. <laughs> so I've learned that my only way out of this mess is to confess it. And then last night they were having a worship night and I went there for the purpose of worshiping God and praying that this would be a successful church plan. That they would do well. That they would be overflowing with people that are coming to know Christ. And they would be overflowing with joy that as they trust Christ, God would bring more to them. And you know what? We need more churches. We need more. There's so many people that don't know Christ. But I have to know myself and I have to know that I have to get in there and start praying for them because I want the king's treasure to be my treasure. I want the king's treasure to be my treasure. And so, more Lord. More Lord. But that's just a little bit of an insight into my Filthy heart, but that's the way it is, and that's the way yours is. <laughs> hey, I've been I've been getting worked over for seven days now, guys. <laughs> you only get one hour, <laughs> so seriously, uh, prayerlessness. Just and then not getting answers to our prayer. the The way to get answers to your prayer is to pray according to God's will, which is why in the prayer canopy, we're praying scriptures over our city and over other churches, because we know those are the things God wants. So we're praying according to his will. So Tim Keller talks about prayer, and this is a great way to think about it. God will either give you what you ask, or he'll give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. Read that again. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything He knew. Is he a good father. This whole passage is by a good father who wants to take us out of the mud of our filthy hearts and have us win this battle through the Spirit. Motives matter in prayer. So that's the first bit to really get in touch with what's going on in our hearts and to admit it and walk in it and bring it in the light. Second thing is to hate our sin. To hate our adulterous ways. One of the families in this church has a little saying. Love God. Hate sin. Kill giants. Amen. Hate sin. The fact is that most of us don't hate our sin. Most of us have come into an understanding that. Oh it's fine. It's fine. It'll all get forgiven at the end. And it doesn't work that way because we don't have a befuddled old grandfather in heaven. We have a, an amazingly sharp father who loves us. And he doesn't sweep stuff under the rug because his son got brutalized to deal with it. So he doesn't sweep anything under the rug. Everything will be dealt with. Either on this side as repentance or in the end as condemnation. It's not a. It's a pretty clear message. It's a pretty clear message. So. so, We got to learn to hate our sin. I had us sing. Oh come thou fount of every blessing. Because I wanted us to say. And sing. And believe that our hearts are prone to wander. To leave the God we love. It's part of the problem. Part of the human condition. And so. James focuses here on our adultery. He uses a feminine word uh, there. You uh, adulterous people is a female word there because he's referring to the bride of Christ. And he's referring to the age-old problem of God's people being adulterous. So he's really alluding to Hosea chapter 3 verse 1 where the Lord said to the prophet Hosea, Go show your love to your wife again. This is Gomer. This is the lady who's unfaithful to him. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisins cakes. The, imagine if your spouse is wandering around having sex with all these other people. Do you just feel how how bad that is? How bad that feels? So here he is having given his very best and the people are routinely slipping into adultery with other gods, other idols, other priorities that are not him and um, get a feel for how awful that is when you've given everything you've got. Now... This adultery, this adulterous ways, it it springs from misunderstandings of who God is. It springs from uh, legalism and license, uh, attitudes and behaviors that sort of say, well, uh, how much can I get away with before God is not happy with me anymore? Or I can do whatever I want because there's always grace. So what we end up doing is we end up thinking uh, what mathematicians would call a bounded set kind of thinking. Uh, It's kind of like a picture of the law, of a legal, where you got a line there and the territory inside is in with God and the territory outside is out with God. But the problem with this is that eventually... We start thinking as the enemy, the devil wants us to think that inside is no fun. Because God is a killjoy. Outside is where all the action is. And here we are having to be, you know, these, these Christians who are under all these rules and how miserable it is. And it's really law. And so what ends up happening in this kind of mindset is that we spend the whole day on the boundary. And we're craning our neck through the fence to eat the grass over there because we believe that grass is better than the grass God gave us. It's back to Genesis 3 where the serpent convinces Eve that God is a killjoy and is ruining her life. And if she could just have the fruit, she could be like Him, according to the serpent. She already was like Him. And so off we go. So this is is the condition of compromise. And our compromise with the world has all kinds of avenues. We have massive, massive sexual compromise in the church. Whether it is compromise between men and women who aren't married, women and women who aren't married, men and men, friends with benefits, pornography, however you want to look at it and it even comes to ordaining pastors and leaders who are practicing homosexuals this is this is not this is not the way to love this is this is making up our own compromise to be popular with the world that's what that is and it happens in gluttony it happens in comfort it happens in wealth It happens in the word of God where in most parts of the church Genesis is a myth. Or Israel. And just our understanding of Israel. Or obeying the great commandment. Or obeying the great commission to go and make disciples. Or Christmas. Being all blown out of proportion to what it really means. Or a lust for the church to have political power. Jesus said, don't go for political power. Don't do that. Racial segregation, etc. So this compromise is alive and well. It runs through all parts of the church. It is bounded in this kind of thinking. And so in verse 5, which is uh, a a verse that many scholars have a lot of trouble with, uh, it's written in a Greek that's uh, very uh, well. It, it's written in a very complicated Greek because this was probably thought through first in Hebrew by James and then written in Greek. But in, in what 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 I tried to give you here is in in the easy to read version is what I think the sense of it is, where it says, "Do you think the Scriptures mean nothing?" The scriptures say the spirit God made to live in us wants us only for himself. In other words, God is holy. The spirit he gives us is holy. The spirit wants to abide in a, in a person who is holy. And so God is jealous for himself. He wants, he wants us to be holy. In other words, he wants us to, not get bogged down in all this envy and quarrels and compromises with the world and adultery, adulterous thinking. He wants us overcome by His Spirit. Right? That make sense? So He's jealous about that. Cost Him everything. He's given us everything. And so He He's holy. And He will not dwell where it's not holy. So, to hate our adulterous ways, we have to switch gears and we have to think about a more different way to look at it, would be a centered set, what math- mathematicians call a centered set. And there, the, the, the primary motivation is not who's in and who's out. The primary motivation is who is moving toward God and who is moving away from God. And so the Spirit, Jesus, the Father, is portrayed in the center as a well. That's where life is, that's where the living waters are, that's where love is, that's where eternity is, that's where everything we need is. And so we might think of it a little bit differently than the bounded set, where let's take this arrow on the bottom right. Can you go back to that? Yeah, this arrow on the bottom right. Let's say that's a prostitute in downtown Cincinnati who responded to the gospel last week and she's begun her journey with Jesus. And she's still far from God. But she's done a 180. And she's now moving toward God. She's moving toward life. And then let's look at that arrow right in front of her. And and that's 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 the Bible scholar who grew up in church, who knows what the Bible says, but who's silently hates God, just hates the whole thing. And he's become bitter and he's become he's spouting off and he's become bitter and nasty. He's walking away from God. He's missed the whole point. He's missed the whole point. So on the surface, he might look pretty close, but he's way off. And I, I think since God looks at the heart, I think this is a more helpful way for us to think about And what God wants is He wants His people eating and drinking from the living water. He wants us eating from the bread of life and drinking from the living water. He wants us to want more. And He wants us to want to cut off our compromise so we can get more. He wants us to be transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit right now and in this place. He's calling us out of this mess we're in, in verse 6, he says, but, 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 I got good news. He gives us more grace. He gives us the power to get out of these these inner wars and the power to get out of this compromise and this adulterous heart to give us grace. And so he quotes Proverbs 3.34 there, Reminding us that he, he hates the proud and he loves the humble. And so he's just inviting us in, and it's the kindness and the grace of God that leads us to repentance. It leads us to say, Oh, I'm envious. Gosh, I hate that. And then to be brought out of that into the glorious light. So Romans 2 4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, to turn from the battle within and win that war, to repent from our adulterous compromise, to return to our first love, to make God first in our heart in a fresh way. And then he, Papa, loving Papa, says, look, submit yourselves then to me, resist the devil, and that devil's going to flee. come near to me, and I'll come near to you. There's no conditions on that, except the humble, submissive heart. Come to me, and I'll come near to you, and there we wash our hands, we purify our hearts, we get rid of double-mindedness, we grieve and mourn and wail over our sin and what it costs God every time we go down that road. And we humble ourselves before Him. And He will lift us up. That's the process. That's the call. That's the invitation of a loving Father. He loves confession. He loves repentance. He loves a contrite spirit. He loves when we tremble with awe at His Word. He says it this way in Isaiah 66, verse 2. These are the ones I look on with favor, Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. This is all very countercultural. It's all very central to God's heart. Tim Keller uh, expresses it this way, which I thought was really helpful. Contemporary people examine the Bible looking for things they can't accept. Disciples of Jesus allow the Bible to examine them looking for things God can't accept. Looking for things that God can't accept. This, this is the word of life. This is the invitation that God invites us to. And this, my brothers and sisters, this is the only book that will read you Every other book you read. This one, it will read you. And if I... My experience this week is any measure, I believe God is reading our hearts big time right now. So let's be like David, who knew how to run back to God. And let's say it together. The scripture up on here. Let's just say it together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk. In the time we have left together. We're going to walk through a time of repentance. We're going to ask God to reveal whatever is in the way. Whatever parts of our lives are in compromise. Whatever parts of the war within. Are producing anger and bitterness. And whatever else is going on. And then... um, When it's time for communion, you come up, you can write those things on that paper and then you can let God dissolve it away. Then you can go to communion. You can receive the divine exchange and then uh, we'll have prayer people. But you can leave here light as a feather because you have walked in the ways that God has ordained for you. And remember, uh, we don't write scripture but we are to live it and love it and share it wherever we can. And, um, you know, when Paul preached in Athens, he said, hey, up till now, God's been kind of generous in, in letting go some of this nonsense that's going on. But since he's called his son who died and rose again to judge the world, he now commands everyone everywhere to repent. He commands everyone everywhere to repent. So as A.W. Tozer says, we are not diplomats, but we are prophets. And our message is not a compromise, but it's an ultimatum from the king. From the king. And Jesus says it this way, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So worship team, you guys can come up. And here's the divine exchange. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Or In this translation, he will exalt you. How about being exalted by God? How good is that, to be exalted by the King? And so that's what we come into now, is uh, I'm going to lead us into prayer. Take your time, and uh, when you're ready, come up. Fill in your papers. Stir away your sin as a, a picture of what God is doing when you repent before Him. And uh, take communion, and go get prayer. Our prayer teams are here to bless you with a word from above. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to pray. Father, uh, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your constant fatherly invitation to truth, to knowing ourselves, to knowing you, to knowing your spirit, to walking with you in humility. So Father, I, I just thank you for this divine exchange that we can participate in now. You are glorious, and we welcome you here. I ask, Father, you would take this manifest presence that is here now and just meet with each person. In Jesus' name, amen.